the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. February 1st, 1966, Chalcedon Report Number 5 One of the unhappy facts of our day is the gap between evangelical Christianity and political action. We have, on the one hand, those whose religion is politics. They expect more than justice from the political order. They expect salvation. A political cause becomes their religion. On the other hand, we have those who say that because Christ is their Savior, they are not interested in the, quote, dirty business, unquote, of politics. Both attitudes are clearly wrong and dangerous as well. For the Christian to separate himself from political action is to separate himself from responsibility, and to separate himself from responsibility is to separate himself from God. What we have seen in the U.S. politics is a departure from Christian American constitutionalism. In a very important speech delivered on March 2, 1930, a prominent American declared that the Constitution gave the federal government no right to interfere in the conduct of public utilities, of banks, of insurance, of business, of agriculture, of education, of social welfare, and of a dozen other important features. In these, Washington must not be encouraged to interfere. He went on to condemn the idea that, quote, masterminds, unquote, or a brain trust could be trusted with the powers of decision or regulation. The doctrine of regulation and legislation by, quote, masterminds, unquote, in whose judgment and will all the people may gladly and quietly acquiesce, has been too glaringly apparent at Washington during these past years. Were it possible to find, quote, masterminds, unquote, so unselfish, so willing to decide unhesitatingly, against their own personal interest or private prejudices? Men almost godlike in their ability to hold the scales of justice with an even hand, such a government might be to the interest of the country. But there are none such in our political horizon, and we cannot expect a complete reversal of all the teachings of history. Now, to bring about government by oligarchy masquerading as democracy— it is fundamentally essential that practically all authority and control be centralized in our national government. The individual sovereignty of our states must first be destroyed, except in their minor matters of legislation. We are safe from the danger of any such departure from the principles on which this country was founded, just so long as the individual home rule of the states is scrupulously preserved and fought for whenever it seems in danger. 
The governor went on to cite the limited, quote, powers delegated to the United States by the Constitution, unquote. They are briefly, one, the military power for the purpose of defense, two, the treaty-making power, quote, and the sole right of intercourse with foreign states, unquote, three, the issue of money and its protection from counterfeiting, regulation of weights and measures, foreign commerce, protection of patents and copyrights, post offices, and minor federal tribunals in the states, and four, the power to collect taxes, duties, and imposts to pay the debts for the common defense and general welfare of the U.S. The governor added, On such a small foundation have we erected the whole enormous fabric of federal government, which cost us $3.5 billion every year? And if we do not hold this steady process of building commissions and regulatory bodies and special legislation like huge inverted pyramids over every one of the simple constitutional provisions, we shall soon be spending many billions of dollars more. What was absolutely necessary, the governor declared, was a return to basic principles. But what are the underlying principles on which this government is founded? There is first and foremost the new thought that every citizen is entitled to live his own life in his own way as long as his conduct does not injure any of his fellow men. Who was this speaker? It was Governor Franklin Delano Roosevelt of New York, criticizing the leftward drift of the Hoover administration. Let us glance briefly at another speech delivered in Austin, Texas on May 22, 1948, by Lyndon B. Johnson. The civil rights program about which you have heard so much is a farce and a sham, an effort to set up a police state in the guise of liberty. I am opposed to that program. I fought it in the Congress. It is the province of the state to run its own elections. Both men were right the first time. They sinned with knowledge and against knowledge. And this is not surprising. When men are without Christian character, they will choose the way of power rather than of truth and integrity. Where there is a moral disintegration, there is no assurance that an elected candidate will maintain a professed position. The number of elected conservatives who have switched sides is legion. They crumbled under pressure and under the temptations of power. There is thus little assurance that an election will gain any results if there is no assured faith and character in the elected man. And politics cannot produce character. Christianity must. The decline of faith is the decline of character, and a decline of character is the forerunner of political decay and collapse. Christianity has an obligation to train a people in the fundamentals of God's grace and law and to make them active and able champions of true political liberty and order. In 1776, in a letter to John Scully, Samuel Adams wrote, quote, I have long been convinced that our enemies have made it an object to eradicate from the minds of the people in general a sense of true religion and virtue in hopes thereby the more easily to carry their point of enslaving them. Unquote. How much more true this is now of every subversive agency and how tragic and desperately wicked that the churches are themselves a major force in working for this eradication of faith and character. And this eradication is basic to man's enslavement. Am I advocating political preaching by the clergy? 
And is it not this position too close to the social gospel attitude of political involvement? The answer on both counts is no. Two similar questions have been received. What is the relation of clergy and politics? Should men in the pulpit speak out on social and political questions? And if so, under what circumstances? Answer. The clergy cannot faithfully expound the Word of God without dealing with virtually every social and political question. The Bible speaks not only about salvation, but about God's law with respect to the state, money, land, natural resources, just weights and measures, criminal law, and a variety of other subjects. The clergy are not to intermeddle in politics, but they must proclaim the Word of God. There is a difference. Political intermeddling is a concern over partisan issues. Preaching should be concerned with biblical doctrines, irrespective of persons and parties. Too many clergymen are operating with a, quote, shorter Bible, unquote, one limited to a fairly few passages and pages. One class of, quote, shorter Bible, unquote, preachers are the modernists, who refuse to believe most of the Bible and limit themselves mainly to a few chapters such as those that talk about love. The other class of, quote, shorter Bible, unquote, preachers claim to believe all the Bible, but they drop almost everything except passages dealing with the saving of souls. These men are too spiritually minded to be of much earthly good. The excuse of this second group who are pietists is that the law has been done away with by grace, and so there is no reason to preach the law of God. This is false doctrine. The law is done away with only as an indictment against us. It stands as the righteousness of God which we must uphold. Every aspect of the Old Testament law still stands, except those aspects of the ceremonial and priestly law specifically fulfilled by the coming of Christ, and those laws specifically reinterpreted in the New Testament. We are saved from the law as an indictment, but not to break the law freely. Is the law done away with, and the Christian, quote, free, unquote, to kill, commit adultery, or steal? Rather, the Christian is saved to be able to live in and under God's law, and the law now is written on the tables of his heart. We are used to talking about the apostasy of the modernist clergy. Equally serious, if not more so, is the apostasy of the clergy who claim to believe the Bible but surrender the world to the devil who refused to proclaim the whole counsel of God to man. The Bible is totally relevant to our world, and it must be so preached. Men are not given grace to despise the law, but to enable them to keep the law. We have a lawless land because we have lawless preachers. The Bible speaks plainly in many passages on debt, theft, by individuals or by the state, on justice and other matters. Is it not a contempt of God's word to neglect these passages? Salvation must be the starting point of all preaching. But, if our preaching be limited to this only, we are doing two things. First, we are like the modernist, tossing out more of the Bible. Second, we are limiting God's word only to what concerns our souls, a very humanistic emphasis. An interesting aspect of colonial Puritan preaching was the election sermon. Sermons on fundamental moral issues preached before every election to instruct people in the biblical mandate. Modernistic social gospel preaching is relevant to our world, 
but it is anti-biblical in its perspective. What we need is relevant biblical preaching of the whole Bible, not only on doctrines or social issues of interest to us, but on all that the Bible teaches. March 1, 1966. Chalcedon Report, number 6. Recently someone passed on to me a very interesting article, the November 1965 American Legion magazine, in an article on, quote, The Systematic Terror of the Viet Cong, unquote, by Dean and David Miller, cites among the instances of terrorism the execution of a former who was, quote, tried by people's court, sentenced to death, made to dig his own grave, shoved in and burned alive, unquote. Page 11. This incident is a practical application of two major communist principles, the use of terror and the idea of making the enemy dig their own graves. The use of terror rests on both a delight in terror and a belief in its power to intimidate opposition. Making people dig their own graves is again a strategic tactic and an evidence of a vicious and incorrigible will to evil. The question we need to ask is very simply this. Are we being misled into digging our own graves? The evidences indicate that we are, and in a great many directions and ways. Our purpose now is to analyze the use made of one bulwark of liberty, whereby American indignation is turned against this bulwark to its own destruction. This is the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or other infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when in actual service, in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. Nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Our concern is particularly with the prohibition against compulsory self-incrimination. The roots of this Fifth Amendment are biblical. Apart from biblical law, all law has made legal the use of force to compel a witness to testify against himself. The result has been torture and terror, and the certainty of conviction, whether the victims of such compulsion were guilty or innocent. The biblical law recognized voluntary confession, but apart from that, conviction had to be on the basis of the testimony of two or three witnesses, Deuteronomy 19.15, and under oath, Exodus 22.10 and 11. An oath was a conditional curse, and the penalties for false testimony were severe, requiring restitution, Leviticus 6, 1-6. A witness to a crime had an obligation to testify. When a person sins by being adjured to testify and has seen or has learned of the matter, but fails to inform, he assumes his iniquity, Leviticus 5, 1, Berkeley Version. In other words, the witness becomes an accomplice by his failure to testify against the criminal. Two witnesses were the minimum necessary for conviction, Deuteronomy 17, 6, and 7, and 19, 15. The requirement of witnesses were clear-cut. Quote, 
present no hearsay, unsupported evidence, do not cooperate with an evil-minded person to become a malicious witness, do not follow the crowd in wrongdoing, nor when witnessing in a lawsuit, lean toward the majority to thwart justice, neither be partial to the poor man in his suit, unquote. Exodus 23, 1-3, Berkeley Version. The place for testimony is in a court of law, not in neighborhood talk. Quote, Practice no unfairness in a court decision. You shall neither favor the poor nor show deference to the influential. Judge your neighbor with fairness. You must not go around among your people as a gospel or take your stand against your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Unquote. Leviticus 19, 15, and 16. The witness had to be prepared in a capital offense to back his testimony by assisting in the execution. Deuteronomy 17, 7. The Ninth Commandment prohibited false witness. Exodus 20, 16. Deuteronomy 5, 20. Leviticus 19, 20. A perjured witness incurred the same punishment as that to which the defendant was liable. Quote, you shall do to him what he had planned to have done to his brother. Unquote. Deuteronomy 19, 15-21. This was in terms of a major biblical principle which sentimental humanism ignores. Quote, As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Unquote. Obadiah 15. In the Berkeley version, the latter part reads, quote, Your doings will come back upon your own head. Unquote. In Jeremiah 50, 29, we see this same principle, quote, According to all she hath done, do unto her, unquote. Lamentations 1, 22. The emphasis on honest testimony and the necessity for unforced evidence, an example not forced from the defendant, but resting on the moral conscience of witnesses, was basic to the procedures of justice. The goal of justice was defined as God's order, and the true judgment is thereby the judgment of God. Quote, you must show no partiality in your decisions. You must listen to low and high alike without being afraid in the presence of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Unquote. Deuteronomy 1, 17. God's curse was upon all violators of their oath. The establishment of these biblical laws of justice and of testimony were basic to the American tradition and to the Constitution. The Constitution established the independence of the courts from political coercion and of the witnesses from self-incrimination and the rule of terror and torture. We have seen the courts become major political instruments. Now the integrity of the defendant is under attack. If we are persuaded to weaken in our way the protection of the Fifth Amendment, we are being made to dig our own graves and to assist in our own destruction. Some will immediately object, quote, But haven't the communists made evil use of the Fifth Amendment? Mustn't we do something to prevent that? Unquote. Let us examine a specific case of such use of the Fifth Amendment. A minister was several times identified before a congressional committee as a party member from the 1930s on. He had served as president of a party organization, and he had a long record of prominent membership in a variety of communist front groups. The testimony on these things was clear-cut and telling, and it would have been impossible for the man to have denied 
the validity of a massive documentation. What was gained by putting this communist on the stand? It was obvious, first, that he had no intention of confessing, and second, that he would sit there by the hour taking the Fifth Amendment as his ground for refusing to testify. It was equally obvious that this man wanted to be on the stand. First, it gave him a national platform from which he could denounce the entire hearing as a, quote, witch hunt, unquote. He thereby took attention away from himself and the testimony against himself and centered it on the House Committee and its, quote, persecution, unquote, of him. Second, by pleading the Fifth Amendment by the hour, he aroused the hostility of many Americans to that law, thereby contributing to the breakdown of that law. As a result, other issues than the testimony against him became the focus of public attention. What has happened? The courts have weakened or destroyed laws against subversion, while the communists have made the Fifth Amendment a, quote, dirty word, unquote, for many Americans. The answer is not to weaken or destroy the Fifth Amendment, but to reestablish and enforce laws against subversive activities. Instead, such laws are progressively being destroyed, and the Fifth Amendment is under attack. The Fifth Amendment is being breached from two directions. First, the Bureau of Internal Revenue requires the taxpayer to produce his records, an example to incriminate himself. Thus, a law which broke with the spirit of the Constitution as it was framed is now being used to destroy the citizens' liberties. Second, members of the criminal syndicate are being promised immunity from prosecution if they will testify against their associates, which would mean incurring death at the hands of their associates, and are being sentenced for contempt for refusing to testify. We cannot be sympathetic with criminals or defend them, but we must defend godly law and such testimony is only technically not self-incrimination. Such a requirement weakens the force of the Fifth Amendment and paves the way for the return of torture and terrors the instruments of, quote, law, unquote, and this certainly is a communist goal. The courts are making it harder for law enforcement agencies to convict criminals legitimately. Are they paving the way for a demand for illegitimate demands and means? Is anarchy and disorder promoted in order to make us cry out for totalitarian force to suppress it? The defenses of the Constitution are being steadily replaced by the offenses of the totalitarian state. The roots of this waywardness are in the religious apostasy of Americans. Their conception of law is increasingly humanistic and man-centered rather than biblical and God-centered. As a result, they have no yardstick, no true standard of measurement, and they are easily misled. Isaiah declared of old, quote, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Unquote. Isaiah 8, 20. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he 
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.